Hello and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast, a show for creatives to encourage and inspire through simple, digestible lessons on legal, tax, money, and business topics. My name is Braden Drake. I'm an entrepreneur, lawyer, tax professional, educator, and author teaching you the behind the scenes necessities you can pair with your own expertise and innate strengths to step into the CEO role and grow the business of your dreams. So if you're ready to get your legal and tax shit legit, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast. As always, this is your host, Brayden. And today I am joined by Kevin Dennis, owner of Fantasy Sound Events. How's it going, Kevin? Good. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm pretty good. Did I nail the intro? You did. Yeah, perfect. I okay, have done it beautiful. Myself. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm kind of notorious for like, I always forget to ask my guests like their like their intro details, and then I fuck it up. That's okay. <laughs> We're gonna get rolling here. So Kevin is a member of my membership. So we have weekly calls, which is super fun to check in. And I invited Kevin on to talk a little bit about his business, but then a particular situation that he had to deal with in his business. So basically we're, we're going to talk, basically we're going to talk about the small claims court process today. So not very many people go hey. through it. It's not really that bad. Um, but I haven't brought anyone on the podcast yet to chat about that. So I'm kind of teasing what's to come. Meanwhile, Kevin, can you introduce yourself and tell us what your company's all about? Sure. I own Fantasy Sound Event Services. Uh, we're in a little wine country called Livermore, uh, California. We're about 45 minutes east of San Francisco. Um, I was explaining, like, I've been learning stuff through COVID because I've been doing these virtual wine tours. I thought, wow, we're getting up to 65 wineries. That's a lot. But come to find out, pre-prohibition, we actually had uh, more wineries back then than we do now. So it was kind of interesting. And it's taken a long time for those wineries to recover. So let's hope COVID doesn't affect uh, us wedding business as, as much as the prohibition affected the wine business back in the day. But anyway, so our, my company does a lot of, uh, we started out as a DJ, which a lot of people in my industry do, um, but we've grown into doing, uh, we do video production. We also do uh, lighting, decor. Um, that's what we're, we're, we're known for in our area right now. We're kind of the innovators as far as building chandeliers and decor uh, pieces that no one else has. So that's what we do. Nice. That's awesome. And I know your, your company is like pretty big at this point. So, cause you're not just like a one man show. How many no. employees do you have? Well, pre COVID we were up to 21 employees right now. I have re we've retained four. So it's four myself, gotcha. so, including people that are still kind of like, we have uh, two of our DJs and our video editor that kind of, you know, comes in and out when needed right now. So how so many in up to seven? In 2019, how many events did you do? We did over 400. Um, a majority of those were weddings. Um, we do uh, dabble in the corporate America world, you know, so, so to speak. But we kind of, it was about 2008, we really made the change, you know, when the dot-com boom happened there. I was doing majority, I would say 70% of our business was corporate America. And then we would dabble in the wedding business. And then after that, we really went all in on weddings. And now those numbers are actually reversed. So. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. So that's a lot of events. Do you, are you primarily in charge of like handling all the administrative con like contracts and stuff onboarding clients? 
Um, no, we have, I have, well, in normal times, we have an office staff of four people that kind of take on, you know, all that kind of stuff. I do a lot of the sales. Um, it's me and two other people that will do primarily most of the sales. But when it comes time to like process the contract, you know, I'll go through with the client and explain the process and how that all works. But then I turn them over to the, to the girls. They, they do a much better job than I do. So <laughs> if I, I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking if I had to actually physically go <laughs> type out the contract and put it together for someone, I, it would be a shit show. So it would take yeah. me forever. I'm sure a lot of people feel similarly. So <laughs> let's talk about with 2020, obviously everyone knows what's what's been happening this year. Here, I mean, I do have listeners outside of the state of California and I know in different places of the country, you know, different things were happening. But here events have pretty much been all the way shut down until like I started to see some wedding professionals like having events as early as August, it seemed, but really it just seems like they started popping back up the last like few weeks. Uh, yeah, it's what they're doing now is what we find it's branded because, you know, there's loopholes. Everyone figures out the loopholes. And so it's wedding ceremonies and a dinner is kind of how weddings are happening right now. So if people have restaurant licenses, uh, venues, you know, a lot of the venues in my area have restaurant licenses. So uh, that's a loophole. We actually, um, our uh, doc, Dr. Moss is the local guy here in Alameda County that's making all the decisions. He's the health guy here. And he, we had a you know, conversation with him and he was pretty, you know, like they're in no hurry to open up weddings, you know, like full on like how weddings were, but we can operate, he, you know, he said you can operate under the guidelines. And so that's, I mean, you can have a wedding ceremony and you can have a dinner. So that's what people are doing. So. so does that basically just mean like no dancing, like no dance floor? Pretty much. I mean, that's, yeah. A lot of the venues are allowing like the first dance, father, daughter, you know, like the traditional kind of pieces, but yeah, it's, it's basically a wedding without dancing. So and that was, that was pretty much my wedding. Anyhow, we just, we rented out a wine vault and bistro here in San Diego and just had a five course dinner with wine pairings. Oh, see, and yeah, yeah. This is, you was, you would have been a perfect COVID. You would have gotten. Yeah, it was out. great. I mean, my like my husband did a toast. I think like one other person did a toast, and then everyone was just like back to eating for four hours. Yeah. No dance floor. No it? nothing. It's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about. So recently, you went to small claims court, right? So we're gonna we're gonna talk about that process, but kind of starting back from the beginning. So obviously, confidentiality is important. So I'm not gonna ask you to like name who these people were or anything like that. A lot of people listening have probably gone through similar stuff. They might not have gone to small claims court, but they've dealt with clients who've threatened legal action, all this kind of stuff. So the um, case that you, I'm going to call it a case for lack of a better term, or the client, the client that you were supposed to provide services for, what was their originally like scheduled wedding date? It was in March. So it, in March. they were, yeah, they were the second weekend after we got lockdown so um you know so we were pretty we were close yeah but that so that was like a super clear no-go though because like everything yeah, yeah, was yeah, locked yeah, down yeah. at that point in time 100 percent no-go yeah so what like so, what originally happened did they contact you to let like let you know that the wedding was off well we kind of you know we obviously knew the wedding wasn't happening because we were it was early in lockdown and nothing was happening i mean people we were in our houses and not leaving at that point so we obviously knew it was going um, we didn't hear from them. And so we actually um, finally heard from the venue 
about a month and a half later, just telling us, hey, this is what happened. The clients decided they're not going to postpone because postponements were huge at that point. Everyone was pushing things back um, and they just decided they were full out not going to postpone. And then we didn't actually hear from the client until June. So it was, you know, months later. And then they just casually called and wanted their retainer back. So, and we said no. And then that's where the process began, where we ended up. <laughs> so gotcha. Speak. And so for some context, I know you're not doing, I mean, you don't have to give like their exact contract price, but they're lower dollar retainers because you're not providing, like the photographers and the planners, usually the planners and the venue tend to have like the highest contract prices. And w- yeah. what was this? Was this for DJ services or something more specific? This was for a DJ and for lighting. Okay. So got it. Two, two retainers. Um, it was a thousand dollars. I can be frank about that. So. Okay. Okay. Cool. So they wanted their thousand dollars back. Not a lot back. of money. Yeah. Not a lot. Yeah, of money. They wanted their thousand dollars back, and you basically just said no. We just said we're living by you know because in our contract it says clearly, um, you know that the money's non-refundable uh, and non-transferable uh, for the retainer. It also says in our force majeure contract we have government shutdown. And then it also, in our force majeure clause, it says all monies paid to, to our company is non-refundable. And then there was, in the cancellation, there's another part in there where it says, you know, not all monies paid is non-refundable. So we're, we're living by that document. Is, is, you gotcha. know, and so, so they wrote us and, you know, they called. We're upset that we didn't do it. They wrote an email. We wrote an email back. Um, and then they uh, wrote an email to me asking you know the same questions that they asked my staff i wrote i wrote the same response as my staff did that you know hey this is not refundable not transferable we are actually waiving the transferable fee because of covid we're allowing people to postpone but we're not waiving the non-refundable fee and so um he said that's unfortunate and we'll take our next steps and so nothing happened for about three weeks and then I got a demand letter in the, in the mail. And that was the key. I had no idea what a demand letter was. Um, so I learned uh, really quickly that you need to respond to that letter right away because it looks bad, I guess, to the court if you don't respond to the demand letter. Because yeah, you and ignore we, it. We talked about this in the membership, right? Because yeah. like we have, we have weekly calls. And I remember you were in the membership when this first started happening. And I had talked to you about... Um, same thing for you with inaction on the demand letter. It was inaction on their part to not ask for the refund for three full months. So you never heard from them. That's not yeah. good because basically you, you have in legal speak, we call it a duty to mitigate. There are several duties that you have, but basically you have to be proactive, right? I mean, that just makes common sense. It's logical. So if someone doesn't even contact you before the wedding's supposed to happen, and then they wait three months before they start making demands, like that looks pretty unreasonable. Same thing if they send you a demand letter and you just sit on it for three months, like that doesn't look very reasonable either. So, I mean, I would say you, you did all the right things, right? You had a really solid contract. You're like, all of your business systems were solid. Your communication was in order. You react, like responded promptly. Was their demand letter drafted by an attorney or just draft like self-drafted? Uh, well, he, he uh, the groom is an attorney. So that's where the, <laughs> so okay. that's where it, it all kind of, you know, and so he, uh, so he, that's why I think he wrote a demand letter because he understood, you know, the process, so to speak. So he, he's, I forget, we looked him up on LinkedIn. He's some kind of corporate attorney or something. So. Okay. Did they put it, did he write it like on law firm letterhead, like for his, firm no, law firm? no, 
No, it was written on his personal. It was just a personal thing because I guess because it was small claims. So, yeah, yeah. Because we, we basically responded to his demand letter with, uh, you know, stating everything we did, and we even attached like all our communication through the whole thing and made that one whole document and mailed it off to him. So super smart. So. Basically, if, if anyone's listening, they don't, you don't know what a demand letter is. Basically, it's, I mean, it is what it sounds like, right? So if someone sends you a demand letter, they're demanding that you do something. And usually the consequence of you not doing that is they're going to sue you. So um, demand letters and cease and desist letters are, they're like siblings, right? So a demand letter usually says, we demand that you do this. And a cease and desist letter says, we're demanding that you cease doing this. So you'll often, like photographers, you'll send cease and desist letters if someone's violating your copyright. Um, you'll send a demand letter if you're demanding payment. So that's what that looks like. It's usually notice that we want you to do this thing. And if you don't, we're going to sue you. So after you get, like, wrote your response letter, how long after that was it before they smiled or filed their small claim suit? And I would say it was about two, three weeks after we got uh, served through mail. You know, we didn't gotcha. get the fancy where someone showed up and, <laughs> and served us. It was, we got a thing in the mail saying we were supposed to go to court. And then um, we weren't supposed to go to court until November, um, you know, so, and then, and then uh, like the beginning of September, we got a, a letter in the mail that we got transferred to a different uh court in Alameda County and that we are now going, uh, they called it blue jean court. And, you know, so basically we're going to court online. Um, and then, uh, and so we went in September. So our, we was like the second week in September, I ended up going, we ended yeah, up that's, going. That's pretty fast. So also more information for the listeners here in California, attorneys are not allowed in small claims court. And also small claims are defined as anything under $10,000. Oftentimes, like I kind of consider like 10,000 to 20,000, really probably 10,000 to 50,000, like the dead zone. Most people aren't going to bother filing a claim in what I call real court for $20,000 because it's going to cost them more in attorney fees. <laughs> they'll just oh. they'll just be like, well, it's 20, but we're going to sue you for 10 and file it in small claims court. That's what often happens. But it's nice because it makes it much more informal. Some other states are not like that. Um, hopefully my sister doesn't mind me sharing this on, on my podcast, but a few years ago, she had to go to small claims court with her landlord and her landlord had a friend who was an attorney and the attorney actually represented the landlord in court. So it's kind of weird, but, um, yeah, I always, I always tell people that here small claims court looks like pretty much any like court television show that you've seen. Speaking of, do you want to talk, do you want to talk about sure. Judge Judy? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then, um, randomly i would say in august my they mailed it because i guess they found my my home address was also part of the court paperwork as well because you know they probably google my name and find it and whatever but they um judge judy actually sent the letter to my home uh, requesting that we be on the show um <laughs> so i i was kind of and my so my wife uh got the mail at home and i was at my office and she's like um you just got a letter from judge judy can i open it and she opened it and read it and yeah we were invited to be on the show and so um the client actually wanted to go on the show um so and i was like and i had no obviously no desire to go on judge judy it would i don't think it would be a good pr move for my business or for our wedding industry as a whole that we're on there uh, navigating it. But I will say the producer did reach out to me more than once 
um, to try to convince us to go on the show. And apparently if you do go on the show, um, we each get paid a, um, a fee or, you know, a, a fee to be on there. And um, so, it, and then if I ended up losing my case, they, uh, Judge Judy would have paid the, the money to the, to the client. So yeah, I would be you, out nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. When you share that, I was like, that's pretty awesome because I never really thought about, I always figured that people had to submit their cases to Judge Judy. And then I was like, well, this makes a lot of sense because what they're doing is they probably just have, I'm sure they have some kind of automation. They scour all the small claim suits, um, probably nationwide and pick ones that they think will be interesting. And I'm sure to them, yours was very topical because it was in the middle of COVID. It was relevant uh, in the news and something that people I'm sure would have enjoyed to watch on television as well. And it was a low dollar amount too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause judge Judy, I mean, well, I don't really watch the show, but I don't think I don't they either. ever, they, I don't think they do like more than like $10,000. A lot of it is like, I loaned someone money for a car and they never paid me back like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, one of my law professors actually loved judge Judy, which I thought was really funny. But, oh, how funny. Yeah, he basically he basically said like all of the TV judges are terrible, but he was like Judge Judy actually gets it right like ninety five percent of the time. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So you decided well, not to. Was, you know, it go just ahead. was interesting to me that the you know the groom is an attorney and he wanted to go on Judge Judy. I was like, I would think as in not to go. Oh, your recording stopped. Nope. Yeah. Back. Yeah. Sorry, I had. I was like, I don't fucking know what's going on. It cut out again okay. for a second. Okay, so start back with, start back. Um, so we're cutting for my editor. This is kind of funny okay. because I like have never edited my podcast. <laughs> I just started last week, but now I have a podcast editor. So uh, Lily, when you're editing this, we're going to start back with, it's funny that the groom was an attorney. So I'll have you repeat that line and keep going. Okay. So it's funny uh, with the whole thing that we wanted to go on Judge, or that they wanted to go on Judge Judy because the groom was an attorney. And I would think as an attorney, that would be the last place you would want to be is on television. Because what if I went on there and beat him, then he would look, I would think it wouldn't look good for him as an attorney <laughs> that he went on Judge Judy. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. And yeah, that that's kind of bizarre to me. And we're not gonna like, I'm not gonna dig into the legal claims. You and I have talked about it. And I still think if you'd gone to small claims court, you would have, like, I still think you would have won. Um, well, I, I kind of just, I kind of just gave the spoiler here. So you did go to small claims court. You did not go in front of the judge though. So let's talk about yeah, that. We, so, yeah. So we, you all log in that day and I'll be honest with you, I was freaking out because I couldn't log in. And then finally I got logged in and I couldn't hear a damn thing. And so I was like freaking out. And then I realized this blue jean thing that they use is a Microsoft thing. So I'm like, well, maybe, and I use Safari cause I'm a Mac guy. And so I was like, uh, so I dumped Safari and went into Chrome and magically everything worked. So, so anyway, so I was like about nine minutes late to court. So I was really freaking out just trying to, you know, and I was nervous cause it was my first time being there as well. And they just kind of went through the whole introduction thing and I made it in time to say I was here. Um, but I did find out that they never, the client never filed the uh, paperwork that I was served. So I could have postponed the, uh, the case a little longer, but I agreed that I was prepared and ready to go just because at that point, I just wanted to get the whole damn thing over with. And so, 
we were going through and it's very interesting because you it's kind of a shit show because you're hearing everyone's problems and everything that's going on and this person doesn't like this one and you know this person's trying to represent his dad who's in the hospital i mean it, it was like I, it was kind of like you said it was like watching uh court tv it was kind of interesting to kind of just be an observer at that point but then it came to us and then the the groom jumped in and he said we would like to go to mediation and i was like ah and then i and then she didn't even ask me and she pushed us into mediation so i you know because i would have i thought at that point i would have said no you know so but anyway okay great and then i i probably should have spoke up at that point and said i'm not interested in going to mediation um but so we end up in mediation um the mediator was really nice she's felt that we both had a really, you know, I think she's just telling me lip service, but she felt that we both had a really good case and we ended up settling, you know, ended up settling with, with the client. So, um, you know, but looking back, I think that was my mistake. I shouldn't have went to mediation because I really felt like, you know, it, it's like they were, the, the groom was trying to convince me that, um, you know, like, Hey, if we end up going, to court and then we get a judgment on you it's bad for the credit of the business and all that kind of stuff and then my head i'm like i don't think so i would be bad if i probably didn't pay the bill but it's more it sounded like too after like they can get a judgment on me and it could take me forever to pay them i didn't have to pay them right away so anyway so we i right. ended up in the media mediation uh we settled and we moved forward but i was kind of mad at myself for not testing the waters you know to see yeah because because it was interesting because when we talked about this in the months leading up, you just kept telling me that you were really interested to see if your contract would hold up in court. And then you ended up mediating it, which is fine. Well, so I actually, in law school, I was a volunteer mediator at the small claims court in North County, San Diego. So I went and medi me and my friend, we mediated those cases like every Wednesday. It was really fun. And they try to convince everyone to mediate if possible because it clears out the court calendar, basically. Yeah, and that's kind of what they were trying to do because they had a couple people that were refusing to mediate and it sounded like they were going to be doozies of cases. So they were trying to get us to jump in. But yeah, his... I, mediated, I, I mediated one case that was, um, this woman had been on auto pay with DirecTV for like two and a half years and she said she didn't realize it. And she was suing oh DirecTV. God. So it was funny because they sent like a sales rep who had like almost no authority. So it was like a total waste of time. It was a lot of, and then it was one person, it was like one fender bender. I mediated that. We had another one where this one was really fun. There was basically a mom who was very upset. It was her daughter's wedding and it was on a golf course. And apparently there was some sort of celebrity golf tournament. And she was mad because a lot of the guests were like leaving the venue, like leaving the reception. <laughs> to go try to see the celebrities and so she was suing the venue and the venue was like well it's a really big venue you did not pay for exclusivity like it would have cost you 10 times as much so you see all kinds of crazy stuff i'm sure your case for the mediator was probably a very 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 tame and simple cut and dry yeah and i was standing by like everything i was like it's not refundable it's not this and then um they the groom was arguing frustration of contract and so and he uh, ar was arguing that in um in the demand letter as well that um basically because of covid we could not fulfill the services provided and so he argued that as frustration of contract so and then i, I did bring that up to you and you were kind of like well you know like the, it doesn't 
you know, like it doesn't really apply because you, you are, I could be wrong. You kind of made it sound like it was more like real estate and other, other contracts, you know? So, but that's, and so it's, it's interesting. So we, long stories, you know, we'll get to the end, you know, we, I pay them their money back and forth. And I got an email just the other day from the, from the groom and he was sent a really nice email just saying, Hey, if, you know, thank you, got your payment, everything's settled. I filed the paperwork with the court saying that you paid and everything, it's all good. Um, Cause technically we're supposed to go back in November, but as long as I did my part, you know, he files a piece of paper, they call up our court case and they'll say it's dismissed at that point. Um, it's, it's, the like, funny, it's the funny thing about these kind of, these kind of cases is, and I'm sure you realize this, but and I, I'm making assumptions here, but this person, if he's a corporate attorney, he's probably billing his own clients at three, four or $500 an hour. It's like the thousand dollars is, is literally not worth his time. Probably. It just all comes down to principle on both sides. Uh, yes, I really think so. And he was, so I get, got that email from him and he, you know, saying how he, they felt that it would have been, you know, amazing. And he knew that we would have done a really good job. And that if I ever need any help with a client for, uh, you know, with a contract or anything, please reach out. Um, and, you know, and he's happy to help us because he understands we're going through a really tough situation. So I said, you know what, I'm going to reach out to him. So I reached out to him and I asked him, I said, hey, what was your, what was the loophole? What were you seeing in our contract that you thought you were going to win this case? And he came back with, and the only thing he came back with was the fresh in a contract. And then he gave me a link to this court case. And it was, and it was the same link we found and read when we Googled frustration of contract. So it wasn't like he was giving me any new information. And so then that's when I really got mad at myself because I felt like maybe I would have really won and it would have been worth the gamble to, to, to push it. So I'm mad at Kevin. So you can be mad at Kevin too, Brady. <laughs> well, send me send me a link to that case after. I'll take a look at it. It'll be interesting. So, because I okay. remember I did, I did just a little bit of searching and it was just that most of the cases I was finding were for real estate, right? So yeah. it's and not that's what that this it, one was. It, it was a link okay. about like how it works out. And it was and it was basically, we Google a frustration and contract. It was the first link that popped up in Google. It wasn't like it was something deep in that, you know, yeah. it just kind and of it, explained it. Yeah, and for everyone, like frustrate. I'll, I'll just give you like a quick highlight. Frustration of purpose, and this is not something I've dealt with since, since like until I, since I studied for the bar exam. So I'm just going off my best recollection. Recollection, but generally it would be something like like let's assume that Disney wants to open like a new park. They say that they're gonna or Amazon. Let's use the Amazon example. Amazon was gonna build this huge new headquarters in Long Island, right? Kevin, do you remember reading about that? Yep. Yep. And if let's say some other real estate developer decided that they were going to enter a contract for the sole purpose of like building luxury housing next to the campus for Amazon people to buy, and then Amazon pulled out of the deal, like they could try to get out of their contracts saying that it's a frustration of purpose because the purpose of the contract was to build these residences for this thing. So since that thing's not happening, their contract just doesn't make any sense anymore. Gotcha. That's yeah. the way I look at it. I'm sure it applies in different circumstances. Um, yours was kind of interesting because I wouldn't have thought frustration of purpose, more just like impossibility and impracticability for you to perform your services. But these are all nuances. They're what we call equitable arguments, which means it's um, 
a lot of the factors come down to fairness, which means it's a little bit more subjective and harder to predict. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing too is like, you know, I, I've reread my contract so many times because of all this. And even in our force majeure clause, it says that we pick a, a date mutually agreed upon, you know, like if we, if we decide we want to move, you know, the wedding. And so, you know, there, so there's, there was that clause in there, you know, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I I'm mad at Kevin for not going. So, <laughs> well, I will say the one thing about 2020 and as an Enneagram seven, I can never help but be the eternal optimist is I think a lot of people in the wedding industry are going to leave this year with much more legally sound contracts because starting in March, April, everyone kind of had this, oh shit moment, realizing that they need to revisit their documents. So I think this will carry through us hopefully for decades, but if not for the next few years, yourself and all of the other industry pros are going to, you know, harp on the new, the new creatives and wedding professionals even more to like make sure that their contracts are legit when they're starting out. Because if you don't have a solid contract, then I mean, you just have to straight up give them the refund because you'd be. And I'll be, yeah. And I'd be honest with you. I had no idea what the hell for force majeure was going and be before any of it you know like it was like is that in our contract oh it is and you know and then thankfully our force majeure had government shut down which then would i would say cover us in this situation so right and then someone i don't know would you recommend adding pandemic to the force majeure or uh, i have a lot a of mixed i have a lot of mixed feelings about force majeure clauses they're very complicated and they actually don't do what most people think that they do so Personally, I think they're pretty overhyped. Um, okay. Because for you, it's it's hard to explain, but your your force majeure clause, Kevin, would protect you in the opposite scenario if like that client was demanding that you still perform the services in March and you were saying, no, under my force majeure clause, it's impossible or impractical because there's been a government shutdown and therefore gotcha. you can't sue me for breach of contract. And that's not what was happening I mean, that was happening in some circumstances, um, but not in a lot of them, like during this whole pandemic. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, and that's the thing. I, I feel like I learn a little bit more about force majeure every time. And it, it's like, it's the, 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 the word of 2020, like pivot and all the other words that have come out in 2020. Force majeure is one of them. Yeah. The example I always give for force majeure was, is like, if you're a wedding venue owner in the Midwest and a tornado like blew over the venue the day before the wedding, and then the client wanted to sue you for breach of contract, you would say, well, it's a natural disaster. Like we literally, I could not, we could not perform on the contract. The building that you rented is no longer here. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So if people want to connect with you, learn more about your business, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, I, uh, FS, uh, events at, uh, is our Instagram handle. I always have to remember that I'm uh, Kevin M. Dennison on Instagram. Uh, our website's fantasysound.com. So that you can reach me email Kevin at fantasysound.com. So. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much, Kevin, to everyone listening. If you've been tuning into the podcast, you know that we have some awesome masterclasses coming in a, up next week. So the doors will be officially opening to my signature program, Unfuck Your Biz. We only open twice a year. This fall launch tends to be the really big one to help everyone get their legality set up for 2021. So this in this masterclass, the title is Setting Up Your Cash Flow Taxes and Legalities for 2021. So we will talk about how to get your cash 
cash flow back in order or just in order if it's not been in order. And then um, how to structure your LLC, S Corp, all these types of things for the new year. So if people are interested, if you want to sign up for that, I really hope to see you there. It's at www.bradendrake.com forward slash masterclass. There will be two times this coming Tuesday, November 10th. Go check it out and I will be back in your podcast app in a few days for the next episode. Have a good one.